0: Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast All Things Ocean. I'm your host, Jill. So,
1: welcome, my friends. I'm so excited to have you back for another episode of Water Women. We're going into some really interesting topics today, and I'm really excited to talk about them. So I'm very excited to have you on the podcast and hear more about you and what you do. So do you want to start out by introducing yourself to our listeners? Uh, yeah. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Finja.
2: I'm doing a PhD at SANS in Open Scotland. Um, yeah, so my project is on um, genetic and epigenetic responses of serogens when they're exposed to hydrogen peroxide. The basics of my project, like the basic idea of my project, is that hydrogen peroxide is used in um, wild salmon farms um, as a sea lice treatment, and um, they kind of they kind of like considered to be the sort of more environmentally friendly um, chemicals because it's um, it has like a rapid uh, degradation into oxygen and water in about five to seven days. I actually have like really fresh results of this. They do start <gasps> degrading at five days. That's so <laughs> exciting. Yeah. So we're getting that this was... like hot off the presses kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell anybody. <laughs>
1: uh, but
2: yeah. So um, that was like a quite nice confirmation that that's when the degradation starts. So yeah, because it's um, considered to be quite environmentally friendly compared to the other um, chemicals used. Because the other chemicals are actually quite harsh, like MMS sort of um, like harsher chemicals. Um, so uh, with the hydrogen peroxide, they kind of they have like a recommended um, dose of hydrogen peroxide. And the way that sort of um, like the treatment of sea lice is that the hydrogen peroxide will be exposed within the, the fish pins, which will be kind of enclosed for about 20 minutes. And then the the because of the um, sort of like water but uh, oxygen bubbles created by by the hydrogen peroxide, the sea lights sort of like falls off in a way. Cool. Um. So after the exposures of twenty minutes, the hydrogen peroxide would then be released into the surrounding waters. Um. So it's obviously assumed that the hydrogen peroxide would be uh, diluted quite rapidly yeah. after mm-hmm. the release but um sort of some modeling studies have shown that um up to about even just a hundred times uh dilutions of high, uh, of the treatment uh the treatment recommended dose can end up around like over a kilometer uh, away from the release site which is quite a lot Ooh, uh, yeah, because that's also, <laughs> yeah this that's actually quite a high concentration and obviously like um the uh the, the time of um, the exposures of this hydrogen peroxide uh, with the um, animals that could be like quite damaging to the animals. Yeah. Um, some recent studies have also shown, uh, have also shown that the um, up to about a thousand times dilution of the original treatment uh, dose um, can actually cause mortality in smaller animals like shrimps wow. or copepods. pots. Um, So partially of what I want to do with my um, experiments is to show that even on bigger animals like the sea urchins can, you know, like the the hydrogen peroxide will still have an effect on the sea urchins, therefore sort of like as an indication of, um, you know, other animals being affected by the hydrogen peroxide. I feel like
1: I've seen uh, I've said hydrogen peroxide many many times (laughs) (laughs) that's okay it's a big part of it that's really cool and kind of interesting to think about because I feel like hydrogen peroxide like it's something not everyday life but it's pretty common to like hear around like have around the house like you know you have hydrogen peroxide in something so you don't really think of it as being like I'm using air quotes here but like harmful but like it can be in and Uh, like for smaller animals and like within this context that's really cool
2: Definitely. Actually, I've had some hydrogen peroxide ended up on my hands just by accident because, like, the bottle it ended up leaking a bit yeah. and got it on my hands and then it kind of like turned your skin uh, white because of like just oxidized yeah. your skin, basically. It is not good. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah. So, the main part of my project is looking at the DNA damage and yeah. oxidative stress of the, um, like the sea urchins responding to the hydrogen peroxide. Um, uh, um, <laughs> so hydrogen peroxide um so yeah hydrogen peroxide is known to cause um single and double stranded dna damage and as well as oxidized bases and so that's sort of what my uh products looking at and um obviously double dna damage and single DNA, like strand damages they are very um harmful to um, yeah. like animals and cells um, normally, in within the cells, um, DNA damage is detected by the cells, and then um, sort of the cells would kind of stop the cell cycle to like replicate. Obviously, like damaged cells, uh, yeah. which which would actually lead to cancer, basically. Oh, um okay. Yeah, like if you replicate the DNA damaged cells, that would eventually lead to like tumors and cancers. Cool. So. Not um, cool,
1: but like cool that that that's yeah how it works. <laughs>
2: Exactly. Genetics is cool, but scary. But cool. <laughs> Very scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously uh, the cells have, because like DNA damage is actually a quite uh, a normal occurrence within cells. Um, there was a paper about it, actually. I forgot the details of it, but I think it's like thousands of DNA damaged cells within a human body per day or something. That's Whoa. like the range of sort of um, what happens normally. Uh, but um, usually the cells would have a robust repair system um, set in progress. So they would detect the DNA damage first, stop the cell cycles, and then they would um, express different, um, like depending on sort of which kind of legions of DNA damage that uh, the cells at the DNA had, um, they would express sort of different types of um, DNA repair genes. And then okay. creating repair proteins, which would then repair the damage. Cool. Um, so normally this is like a, a you know normal process. And then if um, the repair uh, proteins cannot repair the damage, then the cells would actually just kill itself, so that it doesn't replicate. <laughs> That's like one of the things as well. <laughs> um, so which kind of means that you know like if you have lots of DNA damaged cells which couldn't be repaired then you would have cell death and obviously as the numbers of cell death go th- goes up then you don't know like which
1: kind of cells are dead now <laughs>
2: which could lead to mortality in the animals cool I'm um, saying
1: cool there because it's like it could lead to death so cool but it's like it's really interesting how that happens
2: yes exactly um so yeah normally obviously this is like you know, this happens every day, but, um, when you do have exposures like hydrogen peroxide or other chemicals or stress or whatever, um, you would sort of overwhelm the repair process, like repair system. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and there, that's when you start having like either cell death or cancer or whatnot. Yeah. Uh,
1: So how are you doing this with the sea urchins? Like, how do you look at a sea urchin's DNA? Um, so there's, uh, I'm
2: doing kind of different types of experiments uh, to look at this. Um, I like At first, I needed to develop a method, actually, because yeah. the method I'm using, it only detects single and double-stranded DNA damage, but because hydrogen peroxide is known to cause oxidative stress, like very well known <laughs> to do that, yeah. um, I wanted to sort of incorporate enzymes that, um, that would cleave, like that would recognize as... Uh, two enzymes, but it would recognize and cleaves off the um, oxidized basis and therefore creating like an actual break which would then be detected by the method itself. Um, So I, like at the beginning I did um, sort of hydrogen, like acute hydrogen peroxide exposures on just the immune cells of the urchin, which are sort of uh, free flowing cells within the bodies of the urchin. Um, so they like there's like different types, but i have not I've not really gone into the cell types of CRT. That's like a whole other field. <laughs> but basically, they do immune things, and then they kind of like respond to stresses, and they can clot after like a wound or uh, 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 a wound or whatever. So it's like yeah. It, it's um, yeah, it's it, they kind of like do the the panic and please <laughs> let's repair everything. <laughs> <sort of thing. laughs> I love that. <laughs> Um, So yeah, at the beginning, I did that on the cells, and then um, I had a bit of spawning season last year. No, actually, not last year. Last year was COVID. (laughs) This year. Um, And um, I did a a few experiments on the DNA damage susceptibilities of gametes of the eggs and sperm, Okay. uh, which I would just spawn them and kind of like, again, like acute exposures on the gametes themselves. Uh, which, again, is very interesting because they are more susceptible to, uh, susceptible to... You're need. You going to need to edit this. <laughs> no! Like, the word is very annoying. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what's very interesting about that is um, the eggs and sperm, they are more susceptible to DNA damage than the adult immune cells, which cool. Which, like, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's really interesting. Because, like, so you would expose the, like, parent urchin and then the offspring of that would also be exposed and you were kind of looking at like how it was affecting them in a way right
2: uh not yet okay that's the plan next year yeah okay I kind of like want to do that um but there are like a few different things I want to do with the gametes themselves but um at the moment I needed to kind of um optimize the method for the gametes as well yes yeah absolutely yeah nobody's done that method (laughs) I made it so I needed to know like you know the details of how that
1: um that's so cool that you're making that method like that's (laughs) insane like do you ever just think about that you're like "Hmm, nobody's ever done this before like cool I mean now I'm feeling better about it because it works (laughs) yeah exactly that's the most important part it's okay now
2: (laughs) it wasn't when I was doing it
1: I feel that you just feel like you're like in the middle of it you're like this is so cool but nothing's working so it's not exactly
2: but now <laughs> like I can say that this works because I've had it with different cell types uh, even tissue like the sheep feet tissues I've tried that with it as well so like everything works and it's just it's great but um <laughs> yeah it. when it wasn't working
1: it was like very frustrating of, yeah lots of just like banging your head on it laughing <laughs> until it works hopefully you know what are you doing a master's or PhD or in school at all if you're not constantly hitting things and wanting to bang your head on the wall? Because I don't think you are. That, that's true. That is very true, actually. Yeah. If it are is you doing it correctly. <laughs> if you are, you know I mean? then maybe, maybe something's going wrong. Like if everything's yeah. going too well, it's suspicious. That's a very, very good point. I've had that before.
2: Like every time an experiment <laughs> goes too well. I'm extremely suspicious of it.
1: Yes. Like, it doesn't work. It's, it shouldn't work. This well. I ran I ran my R code once and everything worked. Like it went through the whole way. Everything was perfect. And I got the expected result. And I was like, no, something's wrong. Yeah. Something has to be wrong here. There's
0: definitely.
1: no way that just happened. Yeah, definitely. Like I've had experiments
2: that work too well. And I I literally just sat there for a couple of days and thinking about all the ways I could. Like unconsciously, biasedly done my experiments and it just I like made it somehow work so well. I've like, I've worked, I literally ran through every single thing I'd done. And is it possible that I just suddenly totally, sort of like, you know, arranged the sample in a certain way that this works so well or <laughs> like random things that I had to think about because the results were just
1: too good. It was I love. Not it. Fun. I love- that science has broken us so much that when we get the answer we want, we're like, no way, absolutely yeah. not. That's exactly. so funny. I love it. So what drew you kind of to this area of work? Like where did you, what made you want to study DNA? And like, what kind of what kind of drew you to this starting from like the ground up? Like where, where did you decide to go to school? What made you want to pursue? genetics and what was it about it that was like this is it
2: um I think when I was like in school probably like 16 15 something like that when we started kind of doing a little bit of genetics like air quotes genetics because that's like <laughs> a very basic stuff um because we were doing like you know alleles the, and the, the planet squares <laughs> yeah exactly like so it's like the basic very very basic stuff but like back then because it was so simplified everything was very logical and I yeah. really enjoyed that I like the logical <laughs> things which is very weird because now my own supervisors are telling me that genetics is like witchcraft yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> like logic is not there anymore <laughs> it works that. we don't know why we go for it <laughs> like why don't not ask
1: questions if it works don't ask questions
2: <laughs> pretty much but um, yeah, so that was kind of why I was quite interested in it. And I think at the beginning, I was imagining more of a, like, human disease type of thing yeah. that I want to do in the future, because that's kind of where you hear about genetics the most. Yeah. And then I did a master's, which uh, my supervisor then had um, a lab basically doing, um, uh, he had an ecotoxicology, well, he still has, obviously, but he had an ecotoxicology <laughs> lab where they look at different um, like sort of contaminants like chemicals or heavy metals or nanoparticles and whatnot. Uh, and they look at that on different mobile organisms. And then they, they mostly looked at gene expression. So that's like the part of the, the sort of stress response um, gene turning on and off and like that sort of stuff, which was very, very exciting. And that's kind of how like, oh yeah, how I knew like genetics can actually be used in environmental science
1: as well and not just yeah. like human stuff which yeah. is very, very exciting. That's so cool because I, I feel like genetics are like I've always associated genetics up until I started going through university or like even still during that like genetics to me was always associated with humans and human diseases yeah. and like passing on your DNA and like DNA found at crime scenes like that's what summed up genetics for me and then like there were certain courses and like stuff that we talked about like genetics in terms of like animals and like offspring and like and I was like whoa 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 like (laughs) you're kind of blowing my mind here and once you kind of go down that little rabbit hole it's really it's so interesting because there's so many cool things.
2: Yeah definitely because um I think like one of the things about what I do is it kind of does link to sort of more more human stuff as well because yeah. I have papers on you know the DNA damage stuff, which is obviously a lot of them is about cancer and humans. Yeah, but like you learn like cool things that you can then apply to the animals really because like one of the cool things about um, that part like the repair system is some repair like some of the proteins involved in the repair uh, mechanism. Yeah. Um, has like a storage of proteins kept in the cells, um, but those are like some of those are the the proteins that stops the cell cycle. So it makes like perfect logical sense because that's where you want the fastest response possible. Yeah. because You want to stop that as soon as possible. And that's when they, they don't want to waste time on the repair protein expression, because yeah. like they have like the proteins there, right? They're waiting for the DNA damage, which is like perfect. And then um, you have like the sort of more, I guess, common and more like, perhaps like essential. Um, I don't know if that's the right word to use for it, but like it's kind of like more common repair genes. Um, these genes would express um, basically about less than like an hour or less than half an hour or less than 50 minutes after you induce the DNA damage so it's a really really rapid process and that's, that's
1: so like, cool exactly <laughs> it's so so cool I can't explain it but somehow in my mind like DNA stuff is simultaneously like this evolutions long process like obviously it's not going to happen all at once but then in my head like when I'm picturing it like in the body i can't all i'm picturing right now is was this like tv show or movie when i was younger called like osmosis jones and he was like a white blood cell and he fought the bad guys and i picture it happening at like high speed in my body but like eons in like yeah. actually display and it's so cool to know that there's things that are actually like that instantaneous or very quick like yeah. reaction that's so cool
2: yeah, I think that's the one of the things that I really like about genetics because everything is so well built and everything's connected together because the other part of my project that's not, I've not yet to do it yet because again, I'm waiting for the spawning season, um, but uh, so <laughs> I'll be great. I, I have so many experiments planned for those three weeks of spawning season <laughs> for next was, year.
1: The sea just really don't make it easy on you with their very no. short spawning season.
2: No it's absolutely crazy because actually um, one of the things I've done with my current experiments was turning the sea urchins over and then having them turn back over to see like how long it takes as like an indication of how perhaps how happy they are how stressed they are etc and then I sent a video of it lasted only 40 seconds because I didn't (laughs) take the whole video because it like my actual turning over of the sea urchins lasts can be lasting till like over ten minutes. It's just because they're really, really slow. But so I send it to my friend in Malaysia, <laughs> and then because he's got uh he's got the urchins, the I think it's called diadema the like the black ceratons with yeah. the gigantic long spines the really cool ones but obviously tropical. Yeah. So I had told him about like this turning ceratons over thing, and then he's done it in his lab, and then I sent after he saw me the uh, he saw the video. He was like, why do it take too long? I'm like, it's only 40 seconds. <laughs> and then he telling me his video that basically his sea urchins couldn't even sit there like upside down for not even a second. as, like soon as just they just that the urchins, quick? Yeah, as soon as they, they put the sea urchins into the water and they're like, no, 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 we're turning over. What? That's <laughs> so
1: cool. Yeah, tropical sea urchins. They're so Man. much nicer. <laughs> I feel like sea urchins are really interesting study species like not that they're understudied but I feel like we just don't hear about them as often because I'm gonna I don't believe this but they're like air quotes less cool I think they're insanely cool I'm sorry have you ever seen one of those bad boys like so are you using different like what types of sea urchins are you using what species because when I think sea urchins I think of The little like where I live that we have like the little tiny green ones and like they're so cute I love them but then you also have like you mentioned the tropical ones like the big scary black ones like obviously you're not using those ones if we hear the story about how fast they are but what kind of sea urchins are you using um basically I'm using three species of sea urchins
2: found around here in Scotland cool and especially two of them they're right here in Oban and one of the reasons is that um, I'm using them because in the wild, these two species would actually expose to like potentially have the exposure to the hydrogen peroxide because we have the salmon farms here. Like literally we have a salmon farm like, I don't know 10 minutes <laughs> boat right away from Sam's. Uh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Like we can see it. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of why I'm using these um, species of sea urchins um, that kind of, you know, it fits well with my story basically yeah
1: that's really and interesting.
2: Um, and yeah like sea urchins is like they're not the you know the common model organism like <laughs> zebrafish you know the, the mice and the common ones, <laughs> really common ones but um, they have been actually used as a model species for like over a century that's so cool and, yeah because they have these um clear um embryos and early development like early larvae stages they're oh, no, clear right. like transparent so you can see them very well under the microscope which is why like at the beginning they were studied a lot and um, for the developmental um, studies yeah and nowadays they kind of they've gone into more in uh, they've gone more into the genetic side of things and they, like I think the uh, yes in America the Strongwheels and Trotus uh, proprietus is the one in America, like found all around America. That's the species that they fully sequence and everything. And that's quite cool. But apparently those are like huge uh, sea urchins.
1: (laughs) And then,
2: yeah. And then another reason of why I'm kind of like using the sea urchins because sea urchins and other like echinoderms, like, you know, sea cucumbers and starfish and all that, um, they don't really have, or maybe it's like a too like over <laughs> but They kind of don't really have cancer. Oh, cool! They don't. They don't age the way that other animals do, um, yeah. because so like other animals, you expect them to start. You know, like they kind of stop growing after reaching adulthood, mm-hmm. or they have kind of uh, less reproductive like kind of, uh, how do you say that? So yeah, they have like, you know, normal animals would have these traits, but um, seertians don't. They kind no. of, they keep growing after reaching um, like sexual maturity, basically. and They will still keep growing. And um, one of the things that they do like to determine the age of sea urchins is actually to look at the size, like compared okay. to the rest of the sizes within this species. And apparently some can live up to like 400 years. <laughs> I want to see that one. Yeah, um, for
1: real. It's so cool. Yeah.
2: Imagine how giant it would be. Um, yeah, and then they they kind of they they also like don't have like a, any reduction in fertility rates or anything like that. They just kind of keep going till I. I mean, this part I still don't really know. To be honest, <laughs> maybe don't include this part because <laughs> I don't know how they die. Interesting.
1: Because they still have lifespan yeah but, but what what is the the marker yeah. of like natural death exactly because like oh. one of the
2: nobel prizes uh that like they were researching on like the, tel- uh, the telomeres and stuff they use sea as the um model species so oh. like oh. i don't like they obviously they're really good at aging <laughs> they don't <laughs> have the marker the usual markers and whatnot but how do they die?
1: I don't really is, quite understand this. We're gonna put this out in the universe and somebody's <laughs> gonna know. Somebody's gonna be like, this is how they die. So that's <laughs> we'll put that out there. If you know how sea urchins naturally die, please message us. That is that is weighing on our minds heavily now. Yeah. Yeah, because my my sea urchins that I found like, you know,
2: around in, in my tanks that just die yes in a way naturally but they <laughs> yeah. die from like usually infections or something like yeah. that Could
1: um interesting
2: yeah but hmm.
1: wonders <laughs> <laughs> hmm. this is all I'm going to think about for the next like two weeks now is like how do yeah. infections
0: naturally die interesting you know? Interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're using them as kind of like a species like the model species to assess what's going on around these salmon farms which is really really cool because salmon farms I have heard so much and maybe this is just like where I live I've heard so much about them and how much studying's going on so are the salmon farms around your area similar to the ones where my where, around mine where it's like in the natural water source like we have these big salmon I don't want to say cages but like like a yeah. big and net yeah. big round net ball of fish that just are like yeah. anchored down and so you're using them to like obviously there's going to be I don't want to say like chemicals but like fish feed and like different things happening around those. So you're looking at how that's kind of affecting the area around it with specifically hydrogen peroxide, which is super yep. cool. <laughs> yeah, basically look- that that's the idea of it, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And like specifically looking at the DNA, I think is so interesting because you're gonna get such a broad, like the broad imaging, but also like a narrow imaging, like you're seeing what's going on on a small scale, which tells you what's going on on a large scale, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, because um, the experiments I'm planning for next year when it's spawning season is to actually expose the hydrogen peroxide to the gametes, like either like yeah. kind of like a combination of, you know, like a healthy sperm compared to exposed eggs and healthy eggs compared to exposed sperm, et cetera. And then yeah. to see how the larvae might have different um, DNA damage susceptibilities and also the DNA methylation as well, which is the epigenetics part of my project, um, because I mean if you're imagining sort of because i think they use the chemicals on the sea lice about once a yes. month yeah and and so imagine like you know when they do release the the hydrogen peroxide it might fall onto like a spawning cycle so yeah. the sea urchins it might fall onto like other you know like when when they're like in the winter or whatever like yeah. adults, adult sea urchins and whatnot but um if um like if they do get exposed during like spawning seasons then that could Definitely um, affect like fertilization rates of the gametes yeah. uh, because like I've already seen that they are quite susceptible to DNA damage and like that level is actually pretty high <laughs> in those <laughs> in the gametes. But um, so the 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 other part of the um, epigenetics is because um, like the DNA methylation is one of the bigger sort of epigenetics marks. Um, epi- like, do I need to explain epigenetics?
1: Give a give a brief, a brief yeah. as brief as okay. you can fit down epi, epi Whoa, I right. can't speak now. As brief as you can fit down epigenetics, which is yeah, gonna be. I mean, I'm interested to see how you conduct this. <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's fairly easy, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So
2: basically, epigenetics is changes to the DNA without um any changes to the actual genomic DNA. Okay. So like the basis of the DNA, they stay the same. But um, like say, for example, for specifically to DNA methylation is when a methyl group's attached to the DNA and then sort of silencing parts of the DNA. And that could um, have like an effect, like um, if you're silencing like a gene, if like if the methyl groups attached to a promoter region of a gene, then it would silence that gene. So obviously, if that gene is involved in something like detoxification or DNA repair or like any kind of response to you know stresses and whatnot, that would then silence that gene and then it would not produce the proteins, etc. And but this is um, like the fun thing about epigenetics is that it's actually inheritable. Oh, cool! Um, so, like, kind of one of the easier like, I guess, more um, like broad way of like an example of epigenetics is uh, back when it was the Dutch famine, like like around like World War Two period of time, (laughs) uh, when the pregnant women were um, starved, like for months at a time, their kids later on actually has um, like they're more susceptible, uh, susceptible to obesity and diabetes and heart disease and things it's like I guess it's potentially because um, when there were fetuses yeah. like they, they they were starved of nutrients and so later on in life like when they're actually born and stuff and because uh, I think they're actually following them throughout these like 40 something years 60 years whatever and uh, they, they've been like their papers following these people throughout <laughs> like adulthood um, so they would then like their bodies would then Maybe, like, kind of want to absorb the nutrients a lot more than like they would normally have yeah. because of this starvation period of time. But, um, so yeah, there are like other studies, um, like for the there are some like broad bean studies from like soybeans or whatever studies, uh, like several uh, like several generations down the road from the Chernobyl area and they were looking at the like the, uh, the effects of that from
0: yeah.
2: like back then and like the <laughs> radiation and then how it actually um, affects the DNA repair system later on and how they might um, have different uh, susceptibilities um to radiation or DNA damage so it's like a like a very
1: detailed but like it's yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That makes sense. That that fully checks out. I feel like you've explained genetics in general today better than I've ever had explained. And I'm actually understanding things. And I'm like, whoa, that makes a lot of sense. And I love it. I think it's just like everything just adds up.
2: (laughs) Yep. That's the fun thing about genetics. Like everything adds up. Like there's, you know, methylation studies on how we get more methylation, like global methylation levels as we age.
0: Yeah. And that's
2: kind of why, like, that's partially why some sort of diseases onset age is like around 40, 50, 60, is because ah. of the methylation are actually silencing certain things.
1: Yeah. And that's that's like- so cool. So it's, it's like, it's all connected. <laughs> yeah. That. my mind's actually like a little blown at how well I understood that because genetics to me has always been like this like mind block of like I just I don't get it I don't get it and like that just makes so much sense and how they add up it's so cool that's amazing
2: I'm glad that makes sense (laughs) absolutely yeah I don't know like how how
1: well I can explain it to you know no you're doing fantastic it's great so do you have any like obviously COVID impacted your um, PhD a little bit of course what hasn't impacted but do you have any like what you expect is going to happen what you expect you're going to find or like I don't say like any idea what's going to happen but like what's what do you think would happen if you're speaking kind of off the record
2: <laughs> um I mean to be fair like COVID has been okay for me like it's Ooh, not been the worst because we're not in a bigger uni so um, we did go back to labs like Good. like four months after COVID happened so it wasn't too bad but um, yeah I guess I'll, I'll try to see if I can finish on time <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> that's the but, that's the pressure right like, yeah I, I think so far like my experiments and stuff they've stayed like kind of on plan since the like since from the beginning so it's not been too bad but obviously with the spawning season shortened because I didn't know that at the time, um, that might mean that I might not have a lot of experiments on the larvae themselves, but um, I've been doing like adult exposures with the zeotines, I kind of like expose them in beakers and stuff. Um, Potentially I can make this a bigger part because I have like, again, this is like very, very new information that I need to actually (laughs) sit down and think about it. But um I've had some really, really cool results with the adult exposures. Oh, that's and so exciting. So like that part I can potentially like because I, I I would actually like to sort of go in further, like deeper into certain aspects of what that data has shown me. Yeah. Um yeah, what well, kind of like see what happens really. But I guess like I need to know when to stop as well. <laughs> Cause I'm like I have a year and a bit left and I don't have mm-hmm. that much time anymore <laughs> but uh, there's so many things I want to do so many experiments <laughs> so many questions to be asked exactly but yeah I, I guess I need to you know I need to know at what point should I just like stop <laughs> and start <laughs> writing that that's the thing
1: I need that's the thing right I yeah. you always forget about the writing you get so caught yeah. up in the excitement and the love of experiments that you're like wait I have to yeah, I have to write everything up. I forgot about that. You know, ugh. I don't want to write. right. Like, I <laughs> no. want to do the fun things. <laughs> yeah, let me just do that part of the science, not the not the sitting in front of a computer. No, exactly. not, even, not even just the sitting in front of a computer. I can do that. Just don't, I don't want to
2: write things. Exactly. I mean, I love sitting in front of a computer just like looking at the data and yeah. analyzing. That's like super fun, <laughs> but the writing part, not so much.
1: Unless you get in one of those zones where you just sit down and crank out like 10 pages within like an hour and you're like, hmm, this is the best day of my life. But then you don't touch yeah. it again for like six months because you're exactly. like, I did so and much work. Go,
2: and then you go back to it and you rethink every single sentence <laughs> that you've written and then like, "Nah," And you then, read then you it, st- you're like, absolutely like, not. Exactly. You stay there for two hours changing that one sentence over and over and over. <laughs> it's a cruel,
1: yeah, cruel cycle that we live in with this
2: definitely but I mean like actually
1: I'm before the PhD like I
2: hate the writing much more but now because I have the cool results I do yeah. have this urge to like I need people to know about this you're I like, need people to cite my years. papers
1: <laughs> yeah please yeah well you have the really cool results that must feel really good and know that you're publishing data that's like exciting and I mean like all data should be published obviously like even if it's so, like something we knew kind of thing but like to put something new out into the world is so exciting so i love that for you yeah definitely but i just need to write them up <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. love that part for you yeah <laughs> now my favorite question to ask on this podcast is say there is a young woman listening to this and there's kind of like this is the coolest thing i've ever heard this is what i want to pursue now what would be your piece of advice for her if she wanted to go into this sort of genetics DNA field.
2: I guess you know as society's you know as society goes really, you know you always have these disadvantages and whatnot. Yeah. I'm like I'm not white either <laughs> and a woman. but like I don't know. like I never really I never really thought of them as disadvantages. Yeah, it's rather just like it's there. So I will do whatever I want to do. No matter what other tells me. I <laughs> like, love basically.
1: that. I'm but I mean, I'm just a very, very stubborn person. And I think that's advice in and of itself is be a stubborn person with what you want to do. Like
2: I, I think so. Like you just need to love what you do enough to be stubborn enough to go like, I'm not doing anything else. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like, like this refuse, is what I want to do.
2: Yeah, like I refuse to do anything else. Like I took <laughs> quite a while to find a PhD because I like especially at the beginning I was kind of like oh do I want a PhD like you know was it for that sort of stuff but then um, I kind of had like an idea of what I wanted to do as a project for it and then I kind of I was very dead set on like the exact projects that I wanted yeah (laughs) and then that really narrowed down like the potential projects that I could actually apply to (laughs) (laughs) maybe I went a bit too far but I was like stubborn like this is the project I want I'm not doing anything else
1: (laughs) I love that and that's how it should be do what you want and like it just makes sense like why would you why would you take a PhD just because it's there when there's another one that you might really want and really love like if you just take a PhD because it's offered to you you're going to resent that you're going to hate it you're not going to want to finish it's going to make it 10 times harder and it's already hard like yeah you just have to choose the hard that you love and the thing that can be hard for you. And I love that.
2: No, definitely, because I think um obviously things go wrong in a PhD like every other day. Yep. Um you really need to love it enough that like it kind of pushes you to keep going, I guess. Yeah. Like you and then I think you sort of see a difference between someone who just took a product because they might be fun and then someone who's like really thought about what they want as a project. Yeah. Like, I think that's like because I, I think over I mean I'm in my third year now so it's been over two years and um I'm still not like I've not gotten to a point where I'm like I can't do this project anymore <laughs> Like I haven't had that thinking
1: yet so I think
2: like because you know I had an idea of what I wanted and I got it yeah, that's exactly. Like what's pushing me to keep going, and then like oh, for sure. it's it's cool. Like well, no matter what I do, it's like it's still cool. I mean, I've written to my supervisor and saying like is are stupid,
1: but um, <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's the most I've gone to really. <laughs> you're gonna have your days where you're like, "Do I want to do this?" But then like an hour later, you're gonna be like, "Yes, <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> I do love this."
2: Exactly. It's like is are stupid, but in a way they're still showing me very cool
1: results exactly like, they might annoy me because,
2: yeah like they're <laughs> stupid and they're not giving me like consistent results but they're giving me very cool results <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just not it's not exactly what you predicted so it's annoying right yeah I,
2: I mean I look at other papers like you know the people who don't do organisms and their error bars are teeny tiny and i mind just like phew <laughs> <laughs> yep and it's like you know? Yeah, my my animals do not behave. It's nice (laughs) when you don't do animals and you don't need to think about the behavior side.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the thing, really. It adds in a whole other element when you're using like live animals. Like, yeah, they they throw wrenches into things. They don't always do exactly what you want them to. Yeah, definitely,
2: definitely. Yeah, more
1: fun. Just (laughs) some spice.
2: I mean, it does. Really, It, it really does. Just, it's just kind of annoying but um it's fun
1: still <laughs> I love that now if someone has listened to this and is like wow I love this woman she is the coolest ever where can they follow you on social media and learn about your stuff or find you online uh, I'm really not good at social media to be honest <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's good at social uh, media
2: <laughs> oh no I'm really bad at because I have a twitter that I got like way at the beginning, but um, I posted something a few days ago because of this AI thing where you put a few letters in, like when you put a few words in and then it gives you like an AI artwork, quote artwork oh, of cool. your things, uh, what you put in it. And then so amongst like online PhD people, they just put in their products. I'm like, ooh, I want to do this. And then I got this weird mutant sea urchin thing. I'm like, mm, yep, that that sounds about right. Do damage mutant sea urchins? It sounds great. Like that was the only thing I've posted since December last year. <laughs> no. Well, that's
1: fine. That's okay. uh, uh
2: maybe find me on email. <laughs> that, <laughs> that might be better. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I if you just basically typing my name at uh, the Scottish Association for Marine Science, which is SAMS, and you will see like a page uh, of what I do in my project and whatnot and in my contact details.
1: Absolutely. And I will attach that link in the description of this podcast as well, <laughs> because people are definitely going to be wanting to ask you questions because this is such a cool project. So I'm very excited to share this and for everyone to listen and think it's as cool as I do. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Thank you for
0: listening to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. I love sharing these stories with you, and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast, and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. I love sharing these stories with you, and I love that you love to listen. Make sure, if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast, and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. I love sharing these stories with you and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening and until next week, stay salty.